Okay, so um, two things. In two weeks, we start Acts. And so what's the title of the series going to be? It's going to be Jesus Acts. <laughs> I, just my, you know, my preliminary studies, it's, you know, people are emphasizing, it's the Acts of the Apostles. And I'm like, ooh. And then others say, it's the Acts of the Holy Spirit. And that gets even like, wow, that's amazing, right? But it's really Jesus Acts. Remember what he said? I will build my church. And so what we're going to do is we're going to look at Acts, and we're going to watch Jesus build his church. Now, does he use apostles? Of course. Does he use you and me? Of course. And is the Holy Spirit the second or the third person in the Trinity, the one that has been released at Pentecost and is accomplishing everything that's happening in this world that's redemptive and good and is the one that sustains and upholds the old world, you bet. But Jesus acts. And so if you're interested in following Jesus acting and building his church, this is the series for you, okay? Second thing, I've been doing a little interest, pre-priming the pump, to see if anyone is interested in learning how to study the Bible. Now, some of you hear that and your eyes glaze over and you go, oh, no, I know this tradition is so strong in the head. I guarantee you, you will be strong in the head and the heart if you do it. Uh, if that's you, prime Malachi, the pump. If you're interested, <laughs> yeah, that's good. If you're interested, ah, look at that right now. Sign up. Put your phone up there. We will go, it will go to the website. You sign up. If we get 20 people, I'm doing it. Okay? And what you will do is six weeks, hour and a half, probably one day a week. And we will take a passage, and I'm not sure, maybe we'll do a passage in Acts. And you will take that passage from beginning to end, and you will leave this time together, not only in a real sense gone deep into that passage, but you will leave having encountered Jesus. And you will leave being able to take one passage that you will be able to use in people's lives. Okay? If you're interested, you just need to buy a book. It's called The Gospel Art. Some dude named Jeff Hatton wrote it. Pick that up as well. Okay. All right, so there's this guy named Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones. Um, he was first a medical doctor, then he became a pastor. Uh, he's a famous pastor in London. He's only second in celebrityness behind Charles Spurgeon, the Prince of All Preachers. Uh, he was called the last great Puritan preacher. Uh, he preached his last sermon on June 8, 1980, at 81 years old. Uh, Eight months later, he dies at 82 in his sleep. I mean, what a way to go. You're preaching, and then you just go. I mean, I want to go by either running down the road and I get hit, or I'm preaching and I go. So I'm sorry. <laughs> it could happen, right? That's just the way I want to roll in my life. 
How long were his sermons? 50 minutes to an hour. And he packed thousands and thousands of people every Sunday to be spoken back to life again. It's amazing that people will sit for 50 minutes to an hour to hear a sermon today. How long were his sermon series? Well, in Ephesians, he had 232 sermons in Ephesians. That's six chapters. So 38.6 sermons per chapter in Ephesians. In Romans, he had 366 sermons. It took 12 years. There are 14 volumes of his sermons. I have seven. Why am I telling you this? First, I feel pretty good about the length of my sermons now. (laughs) Second, he spent 119 sermons on Acts. So no complaining about how long this series could go. I was just planning on the spring. I read that and I go, summer, fall, next year? No, I I can't do that. I get bored. It's just... It's a defect of mine. I just, I'm like, ah, I got to move on. Uh, Third reason, I'm reading his book on spiritual depression right now. Some call it, quote, one of the most outstanding books that has ever been written. Now, for some of you, the title is like, yes, I need something like that. For others of you, that scares you. It's like if you read it, it's going to happen to you. Uh, You need to know it's a book about the Christian life. And it's incredibly helpful. It has helped thousands and thousands, literally, of people. In it, he says, which is interesting because it's a book on the Christian life, read the story of any revival that has ever taken place and you will find that the beginning of it is always the same. One man or woman or sometimes a number of people suddenly become alive to the true Christian life. And others begin to pay attention to them. The world outside is stirred and begins to pay attention. Revival always begins in the church, and the world outside sees it, begins to pay attention. That is why the condition of believers are so important. This is absolutely incredible because, again, he's studying church history. I knew this because I've heard this, but now I'm just, like, absolutely convinced. Church history says when churched people, churched people come alive to the true Christian life, it spiritually ignites everything. When churched people truly begin to know who God is and walk with God, it spiritually ignites everything. When churched people come alive to true sanctification, for those of you that are theological, to true spiritual formation, for those of you that are more spiritual disciplined, When church people come alive to a true understanding of the church, in other words, how exactly do church people connect with God in an ongoing way, connect with each other, friendship in an ongoing way, and connect with mission in an ongoing way? When church people get the true way of the Christian life, they spiritually ignite. To say it differently, we don't come alive when we have wrong beliefs of the Christian life. Now, some of you, it's like, what I love about Jones, too, is that he said, listen, 
And this is why I think one of the reasons why he was so popular because people are so hungry for truth. Because you're an image bearer and you're a fallen one. And this is what he said about truth. He would tell people, you have to tell people what's true, but you also have to tell them what's not true or they'll never get what's true. And telling what's not true is not very popular today. So, we don't come alive when we have wrong views, theologies, doctrines of spiritual formation, of sanctification, of walking with God. It doesn't ignite anyone. In fact, it hurts us and harms us and we get bored. You know what's so fascinating? Jesus says the same thing. Please stand for the hearing of God's word. I'm going to give you the back story text, which is what we did last week. It's not up here to read, and then we'll read this one. And Jesus went with his disciples to the villages of Caesarea Philippi. And on those way, he asked his disciples, who do people say that I am? And they told him, John the Baptist. Others say you're Elijah. And others say you're one of the great prophets. And he asked them, but who do you say that I am? And Peter answered him, you are the Christ. And everything in heaven and on earth just went, shh. What did he just say? <laughs> it's the first time a human being gets it right. The demons got it right. God, of course, got it right. First time a human being does. And he strictly charged them to tell no one about him. And he began to teach them that the Son of Man, this is who the Son of Man is, must suffer many things, be rejected, then be killed, and then rise three days later. And he said this gospel word plainly. And Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. Now, rebuking in Mark, for those of you who weren't here last week, is only used to rebuke evil spirits. Jesus is the only one that used it. So do you see what Peter's doing? <laughs> Peter's saying, Jesus, what you're saying is demonic. But turning and seeing his disciples, Jesus rebuked Peter and said, no, a Christianity without a cross is for you are not setting your mind on things of God, but on the things of man. Now, today's text. And calling, it's more like summoning. The word has the emphasis of a king that says, come. And summoning the crowds to him and his disciples, he said to him, them, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For, he's explaining, he's expanding what he just said. Whoever would save his life. Life here is suke. It's where we get psych. It's where we get psychology, your soul, your life, yourself, your very being. Whoever would save his suke will lose it. But whoever loses his suke, his soul, his life, his self, for my sake and the gospels, literally for me and the gospel, will save it. Four, expanding, explaining. What does it profit a man to gain the whole world and forfeit his suke? Four, still explaining, expanding. What can a man give in return for his suke? That's four times he says this now. Four, still expanding, still explaining. Whoever is ashamed of me and my words. Shame is a primal, painful feeling or experience of not being enough. So whoever is saying to Jesus, I'm sorry, 
What you do, what you did, your dying and rising is just not good enough for me. Whoever is ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, the Son of Man will be ashamed of him when he comes in glory with his angels. This is the worst thing that can happen to any human being. This is now cosmic shame. So you see what happens? When Jesus, his living, his dying, and his rising, and his reigning, is not worthy enough for us, then he's ashamed. In other words, now we're not worthy to stand before him and his angels. And he said to them, truly I say to you, there are some still standing here, which means right now, who will not taste death, will not physically die until they see the kingdom of God after it has come with power. And that's in reference to the resurrection. So at the resurrection, the kingdom of God is released upon this world. At the resurrection, power, present power is here. This is the word of the Lord. Please be seated. Lord, we thank you for your spirit. So we ask, Holy Spirit, that you would blow, blow in the valley of dry bones and speak us back to life again. We pray this in your name, Jesus. Amen. All right, so here's the point. I'm going to say it over and over and over again, and I think we'll finally get it. But come alive to the true Christian life. Come alive to it. Come alive to it. I mean, be reached and renewed by it. Be healed by the true Christian life. Be spiritually formed by the true Christian life. Become yourself by the true Christian life. And if you do, you might spiritually ignite people around you. You might spiritually ignite your home. You might spiritually ignite your husband, your wife, your brother, your sister, your grandchild. You might spiritually ignite your friends, your school, your team. You might spiritually ignite your church and your work in the culture. Because church history says that's what happens when this happens. And the Bible says so. So, what is the true Christian life? That's the question, right? Okay, great. Great, Jeff. Sign me up. What's the true Christian life? Well, last week we saw how it starts. It starts with getting Jesus right. And last week we began to practice Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones' what's not getting Jesus right. So we need to get Jesus right. And the great line was Jesus saying, well, who do you say that I am? Get it right. Right? No cross, Jesus says. No resurrection, no Jesus. No cross, no resurrection, no knowing God. No cross, no resurrection, no Christian life. No cross, no resurrection, no spiritual formation. No cross, no resurrection, no connecting church life to God, connecting to each other, connecting to mission. What is Christianity without the cross and the resurrection? Well, Peter tried it. Remember, he just said, we looked at that text. He rebuked Jesus. And Jesus says, Peter basically says, Jesus, the stuff you're talking about, this, this, this son of man that has a cross is demonic. I rebuke you. 
And Jesus says, Peter, a Christianity, spiritual formation, the Christian life, sanctification without the cross and resurrection, that's demonic. Get Jesus right. Who do you say that I am? Last week's. There you go. You didn't miss anything. Come alive to the true Christian life. If so, you might spiritually ignite people around you. What is the true Christian life? Today's answer number two. Get Jesus right. You ready? Follow Jesus. Verse 34, and summoning the crowd to him with his disciples, he said to them, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. In other words, right now, Jesus is looking you and looking me right in the eye. Follow me. Follow me. Now, this might be the most misunderstood and misapplied text in all the Bible. Jesus says, follow me 19 times in Mark. It always means the true Christian life. It always means a true attachment to Jesus, true union with Jesus. It always means true spiritual formation. Yes, it always means true discipleship. So far, so good. And then we try to explain it. And then we try to teach it. And then we try to do it. And the wheels come off. What does follow me? What does it mean? Two quick observations. Jesus is not saying follow biblical principles. Jesus is not saying follow spiritual how-tos, steps, and techniques. Jesus does not say follow your personal experiences. Jesus is not saying follow spiritual disciplines, no matter how helpful they are. Follow discipleship manuals. Follow church growth dynamics. Follow Jesus is not saying observation number two. Follow your following of Jesus. Right? Follow your faith in following me. Like how much you have. Follow your submission, your surrender in following me. How much levels you have of surrendering. Or follow your spiritual effort in following me. Your effectiveness, how effective you are, how effective your spiritual effort is. No, he says, follow me. So when I was a student at UMass, everyone knew when spring had finally come. You know, when, when the sun would shine again. Oh, that's what that thing in the sky is. Oh, the birds would sing again, right? When gray was no longer the only color in the universe. When people were nice again. In other words, when the Shire showed up. We knew when spring showed up. How did we know when spring showed up? When the weird dude came with the big wooden cross. And he came, why? To save us. 
and he came to bring revival on campus. And how did he do this? He came by yelling at you and telling you your sins. And it's amazing. He was a prophet because he knew everyone's sins. And he got real specific and graphic and calling people specific names of specific sins of everybody that would be out there listening to him and watching this weird dude dragging a big wooden cross. It was so heavy and it was so big, it would actually like leave a mark in the grass as he dragged it across campus. And then he would tell you, after he told you how evil you were, because this was his way of saving you and bringing revival to campus, he would tell you to surrender everything to God. He would tell you to submit your whole life to God. And I remember as a freshman, or as a sophomore at this time when I heard him, because I was at Gettysburg before this school, I remember going, how do you do that? And I remember thinking to myself, how do you measure a surrender? I surrender. And the second thing he said, you need to repent of all your sins. You need to stop sinning all these evil things that I'm telling you to do right now. And everybody left so happy and so joyful and so energized and so ready to walk with God. Now, the first time I saw him, he drags this wooden cross with him everywhere, right? Why? Because he's fully committed. <laughs> Three years later, I noticed, what? what's that on the bottom of that big wooden cross? And he attached these little wheels <laughs> to the bottom of the cross. Why? Because he needed to make it a little easier to be fully committed. course he did. What does it mean to follow Jesus? I wish I could just say it. Follow Jesus and everyone comes to life by it. I wish I could just say it and everyone understands what it means. I wish I could just say it. Follow Jesus and you come alive. Follow Jesus, son, and he comes alive. Follow Jesus, honey, and they come alive. I have a conversation with you. Follow Jesus and you come alive. I say to myself when I'm down, follow Jesus, Jeff, and I come alive. But unfortunately, when all of us here follow Jesus, we think surrender, submission, commitment, dedication, discipleship manuals, spiritual secrets and techniques, spiritual disciplines, personal experiences, ways to access the Holy Spirit and endless ways to activate God. One of the most popular books when I was in school was 10 Steps to Freedom. 10 Ways to Surrender Your Life to Get to Freedom. Unbelievable. It was a bestseller. But today, I can't just say follow Jesus and you come alive. Today, I have to be brutally clear. So here it is. Following Jesus is not about you. 
It's about following Jesus. It's about following Jesus. It's about following Jesus. The whole point is you follow Jesus, not follow you. Follow Jesus and what he does, not follow you and what you do. And I don't care how good it is. I don't care if it's praying. Following Jesus is following Jesus. And you come alive again. Mark 34, 834, and summoning the crowd to him with his disciples, he said to them, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. So, What's your greatest struggle in life? What is your deepest problem? What wrecks you? What wrecks your relationships? What wrecks the way you do work? What wrecks the way you handle money? What wrecks your intimacy? What wrecks your family? What wrecks your teammates? What wrecks your classmates? What wrecks the church? What wrecks the culture? Answer, you. You. This is why Jesus says, if anyone would come after me, let him literally deny self, suke, soul, life, self. And take up his cross and follow me. I just want you to notice something real quick here. Notice what is being denied. Not something not something you do, but someone who you. How do you do that? In Spiritual Depression, Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones calls it the horrible self. He says it's the primary source of all our problems. It's the primary source of our depression, our mood disorders, and our mental health. It's the primary source of all our uncontrollable thoughts, feelings, desires, and doings or addictions. He says, quote, what a miserable thing self is. What an ugly thing. What a foul thing. Quote, the self is continually self-occupied, very conscious of what it is doing and how it is doing it. It always keeps an eye on itself. What of a terrible thing this is. In other words, what he's saying, do you hear what he's saying? The self is always thinking of itself. The self is always thinking of what it thinks of itself. The self is always thinking what others think of it. The self is always thinking what God thinks of it. The self is always thinking of what some law out there is always thinking of it. Like the law of your scale in the morning. What does the scale think of me? Crap. 
especially over the holidays, right? <laughs> Good night. Put these jeans on, I went, you. Mental health experts call it self-preoccupation, self-obsession, narcissism, narcissism, and being in your head. Religious people, church people call it self-worship, self-trust, self-salvation, self-sanctification, self-justification, self-love, self-self-self. Everyone calls it selfish. Everyone says self-centeredness. Throughout church history, the self has been called the edemic self, the collapsed self. That's an interesting picture. I love that one. The self that collapses in on itself. Luther called it the self curved in on itself in a perfect, tight spiral, circle of slavery to self. Can't get out. Others call it the God-making self, the self that wants to be more than itself, the self that wants to be like God. We've called it here the zombie self. We say the self that's physically alive but spiritually dead, right? The Apostle Paul calls it the old self, calls it the old nature, the sinful nature. He calls it the flesh calls it the body of death. This is why Paul in Romans says, the thinking and the feeling and the experiencing and the desiring and the doing, the self of the flesh is death. Who will rescue me from this body of death? And Jesus goes into the darkness. He goes into the darkness of self and says, follow me. And you come alive. Getting this is the true Christian life. This is way beyond the self needing faith and submission and surrender and yieldings and whatever. It's way beyond the self needing more personal experiences and encounters and you know, access points to the Holy Spirit and spiritual techniques. This is way beyond the self needing more counseling and tweaks and fixes and figuring it out and aha moments and New Year's resolutions. This is the self needing a death and a resurrection. One theologian says it this way, the only thing dead people can use, the only thing that dead people, it's practical for them, the only thing that dead people can make work in their life is the resurrection from the dead. Follow Jesus and live. Come alive. So Jesus' death, this is so unbelievable, this is so amazing, this is the true Christian life. Jesus' death is the death of yourself. It's the ultimate denial of self. 
How are you going to get rid of this suke? Jesus' death is the death of your old self. Jesus' resurrection is the life of your new self. Follow me, Jesus. I mean, Jesus says, right? You know when Paul, remember when Paul's in that great work, he's in, he's in Romans, he's in the thick of the weeds, and it just kind of blows by you in Romans 7, and everyone's like, oh, yeah, they just want to argue about what's going on in there, what nature's, what's happening. Nobody agrees on it except the people that have always agreed on it throughout church history. <clears throat> but he says this, he goes, he just makes this comment. He says, listen, as a Christian, as the greatest apostle that ever lived, he goes, listen, it's no longer I who do it, but the sin living in me that does it. Wait a minute, Paul. What, what did you just say? And every, you know, nobody, and people are like, what, what was that? What is that? That's called two selves. But his true self, it's no longer I, me, my new self, the self that got resurrected when Jesus resurrected. That's the true me, the new self, the new suke, the new soul life self, the new thinking, feeling, experiencing, desiring, doing person. But the other one's still there as a Christian. But it's not me. It's no longer me doing it. The practical help here for the true Christian life is absolutely immense. So I, I don't even know, like, where do you begin? Uh, so there's two. Here it is. When you find your old self, Christian, when you find your old self, and you will, right? Everyone knows that old self. Everyone knows the sin that lives within them. We confess it every Sunday to remind us that you have an old self at work in your members. When you find the old self, here's what you do. Deny her. Deny him. Follow Jesus. You have a new self. Forget yourself. Stop thinking about yourself. Stop trying to tweak and figure out and change and transform and struggle and manage and control yourself. Stop. Deny yourself. Follow Jesus. You have a new self. Help number two. Trying to figure out, trying to fix, trying to improve, trying to manage, trying to control, trying to counsel your old self is madness. It's futility. It's despair. It's the very definition of mental illness. Building theologies and systems and doctrines, sanctifications around trying to sanctify your old self is madness. It doesn't work. It only hurts you. It only harms everyone around you. And it's doctrines or theologies of the old self. It's not sound, healthy doctrine. It's false teaching. I'm, I'm making friends and, 
influencing people today? Why don't they work? Why don't these things work? Why, why if, you, if you take your old self and you sit there and build theologies and trying to transform this thing, fix this thing, figure out this thing, change this thing, manage this thing, kill this thing, control this thing, why don't they work? Answer, it took the cross to kill it. And it takes the resurrection to recreate a new self. And these are gifts from God at the cross and the resurrection. This is great news. And so following Jesus is like, I'm going to follow his death to deal with me. My guilt, my sin, this old self that just haunts me bugs me, wants to be me. But Jesus' death enables me, no. And Jesus' resurrection gives me a new self, yes. I'm following the death and I'm following the resurrection. As a Christian, That's why Paul says in that same spot in Romans where he says, look, he wants to contrast the flesh and the spirit. Romans 8, he says, look, the thinking and the experiencing and the feeling and the desiring and the doing of the old self, the flesh is death. The thinking, the feeling, the experiencing, the desiring, the doing of the spirit is life amazing so stop trying to pack life and peace into a being that doesn't have it all right i gotta wrap this up come alive to the true christian life if you do you just might spiritually ignite and everyone else around you (laughs) so what is the true christian life number one get jesus right number two follow jesus final thought some of you are thinking of feeling this i know you are this feels pretty abstract this is not as concrete as applying a biblical principle, Jeff, that is not as concrete as me surrendering and yielding. That seems even more concrete. I don't know how. I never could figure that out. It's not as concrete what you're talking about, Jeff, what this text is talking about. It's not as concrete as me trying to feel more and have other powerful, moving experiences. It's not as concrete as giving me a step. It's not as concrete as giving me a spiritual discipline. It's not as concrete as writing a 500-page discipleship manual that I can follow my life after. This seems too abstract. Two responses. First one is this. Verses 34 through 38 are talking about something so much more than what those things are talking about. This text is talking about two different worlds, two different kingdoms, Two different ages, two different eons, two different cosmoses, two different ways to see reality, two different interpretations of reality, two ways of thinking and feeling and desiring and doing, two selves, an old self and a new self, two Spheres, realms, lands, homes, 
universes, kingdoms. Second, but it's also deeply personal. Do you see that? Verse 35, can we put that up there? <clears throat> All right, whoever loses his life, whoever would lose his life, his old self, suke, so life self, for literal translation, you ready? For me and the gospel will save it. Now, obviously, this is like, you know, becoming a Christian, but it's also present tense, which means it's also how you live as a Christian. In other words, when you start seeing that Jesus, when you find your being, your soul life self, your new self in Jesus and his good news, you start becoming functionally, experientially, you start stirring the flames of your new self. You become who you are. And who is this one that you come to? Do you see how personal it is? It's coming to me. Jesus saying, me. You're following me. You follow who I am. I'm the one who stops storms. I'm the one who stops evil spirits. I'm the one who stops sin and guilt. I'm the one who stops the old self. And I'm the one who came for you. I'm the one who lived for you. I'm the one who died for you. I'm the one who rose for you. I'm the one that knows you. I'm the one that sees you. I'm the one that hears you. I'm the one that has compassion on you. I'm the one who's kind and gentle towards you. I'm the one who loves you. Come find yourself in me. So Jesus says, follow me, and we come alive.